It should be expected that when somebody says that they're going to do something, that they would do it. That if we believe someone to be someone, if they've presented themselves that way, then we expect that that's who they're going to be. But I imagine we've all probably lived long enough to know that sometimes that's not the case. That's not always how things work out. Sometimes we expect something from someone. Sometimes we ask something of someone and they, they let us down. They're not loyal. They're not faithful. And a lot of times that leads towards broken trust. And sometimes that can even lead towards broken hearts. Things that feel like they're never going to heal when relationships are broken and our trust has been destroyed. But we also can probably admit safely here together that sometimes that's true about us as well. Sometimes it's not other people letting me down. Sometimes it's me letting other people down. Sometimes it's not other people not living up to who they claim to be. Sometimes it's me not living up to who I claim to be. And that can be just as heartbreaking and just as gut-wrenching. When it comes to the Christian life, as we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, these things that are supposed to mark what it means to be a Christian, faithfulness seems like it should be a given. Faithfulness seems like it should just be a natural part of who we are, but it really isn't. That's why Paul says that it's a fruit of the Spirit, that it's something that has to be planted inside of us and grown inside of us that isn't there before. You see, all of us can, can do faithful things sometimes. We can all sometimes be faithful, but only Jesus, through the power of the Spirit, can make us faithful. The ESV Study Bible, when it defines this idea of faithfulness, it calls it a divine characteristic. Just like all of the other fruits of the Spirit that we've talked about, all the other fruit of the Spirit that we've looked at, these are things that reflect the character and the nature of God and things that God puts inside of us. And so the ESV Study Bible reminds us that this characteristic is something that, that is born from within by the power of God, and then it's laid out to be this idea of doing what we say we're going to do and being who we say we are. And so this morning, we're going to look at two examples of faithfulness from one story. On one hand, we're going to look at Jesus, and we're going to see Jesus put the faithfulness of God on display. But then we're also going to look at Peter. And Peter in this story does not. But the story today is a lot more than just a simple look at Jesus and learn how to be faithful and look at Peter and learn what not to do. But we're going to see that in the life of Peter, through the power of the gospel and the power of the resurrection, that Jesus can take the faithless and make them faithful as well. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 46. But before we do that, I want to read our anchor passage here in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And now Matthew 26, verse 36 through 46. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, my father, if it is possible, 
Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you will not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and he prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for a third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. May God add his blessing and his favor to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God for his word. Father God, as we look at this amazing example of faithfulness in the life of Jesus today, help us to learn from it. Help us to see the beauty of your faithfulness first and foremost, and also to see an example of what our faithfulness should look like. But God, also in the in the reverse, help us to see in the life of Peter what our faithfulness often does look like. But also remind us that through the power of the Holy Spirit that you can take the faithless and make them faithful. That you can make us new and that you can make us whole and that through the power of your Spirit you can make us people who are faithful not only in what we do but in who we are when it comes to serving you and loving our neighbors as ourselves. And so God, speak to us this morning. And we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Before we walk through this story in particular, I want to give some of the background. Because right before all of this takes place, Jesus and Peter have a very uncomfortable interaction. Because Jesus knows that he's, he's coming near to the end. Jesus knows that his death is pretty imminent. And he's already had a couple back and forths with Peter who couldn't quite wrap his mind around everything that was going on. And then it just went over the top when Jesus looked at Peter and he said, you're going to deny me three times today. You are going to take our relationship. You're going to take our connection. You're going to take any knowledge of me and you're going to flush it for your own sake. And you're going to deny that you have anything to do with me. And Peter just becomes enraged. Because he's, he's thinking, this is ridiculous. Of course I'm not going to do that. And he says that to Jesus. He looks Jesus in the face and he says, I know who you are and you know who you are, but you have to be mistaken here because I would never deny you. I would rather die than deny you. This isn't going to happen. And all the other disciples joined in. He said, you know what? We won't either. Peter's not going to deny you. We're not going to deny you. We're here till the end. We trust you. We think that all this is going to go exactly like you've promised. And then Jesus started walking. And he led them to a place called Gethsemane. And he leads them out into this place where he's going to pray and he's going to prepare himself to do this incredibly difficult task that lies before him. And he looks at some of the disciples and he gives a command. He says, you guys, just, just wait here. You sit here and wait, and I'm going to go out and pray. All that this one group of disciples had to do was to sit and to wait. That was their commandment. That's what was required of them for faithfulness, and Jesus was going to do the rest. All he asked them to do is sit there. 
But then he looks at, at Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. And he says, I want, I want you to come with me. You come further with me while I go out here to pray. This shows us a little bit of the dynamic about what Jesus' life looked like. Because he has the disciples and he spends, all the, he spends all this time with them. But there's this group, these three, that are kind of his inner circle. They're the ones that when things are going down, that Jesus wants to be able to rely on them. And in a weird sort of way, he needs them to come with him. Because again, he's, he's human. He's dealing with this as a human person. Even though he's God incarnate, he's dealing with all of this like a man. And so he looks at these three, his faithful ones, his rock, the people that he relies on the most. And he says, I need you to come with me. I need you to come and to be faithful while I go through this incredibly difficult task. And then it said that Jesus began to grow sorrowful and troubled. All of a sudden, the weight of what Jesus had to do was starting to really set in. Because Jesus hadn't just known what he was on earth to do his whole life. He's known what he was going to do for all of eternity. We see in Genesis chapter 3, God make this declaration that he has a plan through Jesus to bring about salvation to the world. He's known that this is the plan from the, before the foundations of the earth. And yet now here sitting on the night that he's going to be betrayed, all of a sudden he starts to realize the weight of what he has to do. The pain that he's going to feel. The heartbreak that he's going to endure as all of his friends leave him and scatter away. As the people that he came to save mock him and spit in his face and yell for him to be put to death, the weight of all that he's about to experience is starting to set in and he grows sorrowful and troubled. And then he looks at these three, to Peter and to the sons of Zebedee, his inner circle, the people that he trusts, the people that he loves, the people that he needs at this time. And he tells them, He says, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Jesus confesses his sorrow and he asks these men to endure it with him. He looks at him and says, I don't want to go through this alone. I don't want to deal with this by myself. Come with me and pray with me and be here for me. Go through this sorrow with me. The same God who spoke the universe into being, the one who Paul says all things were created through him and by him and for him, that God was now looking in the face of these simple men, these fishermen, these simple people, and saying, I need you because I'm so sorrowful, I'm so broken, that it could, it could kill me. And this really puts a lot of how we deal with one another into perspective. Because in church especially, it can feel very wrong to be vulnerable. We don't want to impose on anyone, right? We don't want anyone else to have to deal with our stuff. Or I'm sure that there are people who are dealing with much bigger things than I'm dealing with, and so I don't want to trouble anybody with it. Or maybe we're even just too proud sometimes to let people know that there's something going on. But here we have the God of the universe confessing his sorrow and his brokenness. And so if Jesus can do that, then we certainly can as well. And I think there's part of what it means to be faithful wrapped up in there, to be able to confess our weaknesses and to confess our sorrows and confess our brokenness. And so he asked these men to to endure this, to walk through this pain and sorrow with me. And Jesus asked them to stop and to, to pray. And Jesus continues on a little further. 
And when he does, he falls on his face out of brokenness and out of sorrow and out of anguish. And then as he's praying alone, he asks to be released. He says, and this is one of these famous lines that we talk about, especially around the Easter season. He says, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. One of the most remarkable things about the faithfulness of Jesus when it comes to his his death and the crucifixion and all that would take place over the next hours in this story is that Jesus didn't want to go through with it. That Jesus wasn't excited, that Jesus wasn't rushing to the cross, that there wasn't any sort of divine protection, that just because he was God incarnate, that he wasn't going to feel it and that he wasn't going to experience it. But no, Jesus knew that he was going to feel every ounce of the pain and the agony and the heartbreak. And like anybody would in that situation, he didn't want to go through it. He didn't want to deal with it. And so he comes to God in prayer and he says, if there's any other way that we can do this, If there's any way that I don't have to drink of this cup, if there's any way that I don't have to go through what I'm about to go through, then let's do it that way. I want out. If it's at all possible, let me out of this. But then, of course, he prays not, my will but yours be done. But what's even more amazing about this particular part of Scripture is that he didn't have to go through with it. Jesus didn't have to go through with this. He didn't need us. That's the beauty of Genesis chapter 1. As we see God creating the heavens and the earth, we see God as he is and as he always has been, as he always will be, perfect and holy and good and in need of absolutely nothing. And so Jesus could have just stood up and said, you know what? No, I don't want to do this. I don't have to do this. I don't need to save them. They need me. I don't need them. What's the point of doing this? They've just spit in my face anyway. They've rebelled. They're going to be the ones that put me on the cross. Why should I go through this? And he could have walked away, and yet he didn't. Because as we've seen in every part of the fruit of the Spirit, faithfulness is motivated by love. And it was Jesus' love for us that even though he didn't need us, that he wanted us and that he loves us and that he desires us, that's what pushed him forward to remain faithful. But he still finds himself here asking God to release him. And so he's been praying for about an hour. That one agonizing hour wrapped up in that one sentence. And then verse 40 says, He came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. He came back looking for support, and he found nothing. All he did was ask his disciples to sit there and to pray with me a little while because I'm sorrowful and I'm brokenhearted and I'm agonizing. Just pray with me and pray for me. And he comes back, and they're all asleep. While Jesus was agonizing, wanting to surrender, they slept. The selfishness of that is unfathomable. The weakness of it is overwhelming to look at. But what we also see there is complete faithlessness. They were not worried about being faithful to what Christ had called them to do. All they wanted to do was just get what they needed. And so Jesus looks at Peter, and Peter gets the the brunt of a lot of this. And he looks at Peter in the face and he says, could you not stay awake with me for one hour? 
All I needed from you was one measly hour to pray and to focus and to be faithful to what I've called you. I've given you everything and you can't give me one hour in return. He says, I'm going to go do this again. I'm going to go pray again. And so watch with me and pray with me and pray that you wouldn't fall again into temptation. And then Jesus says, because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Even in that moment, Jesus understood the struggle that Peter was dealing with. That this was a spiritual issue, why Peter couldn't stay awake. And he says, I know that your spirit is willing, but that flesh is weak inside of you. And this is an idea that Paul would come back to later in Galatians chapter 5. As we've been talking about the fruit of the spirit, Paul showed us the difference between the work of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. That the work of the flesh is self-motivated, that it wants to feed ourselves, that it wants to meet our own desires. But the fruit of the Spirit is designed to give glory to God and to do work for other people. And so that was Peter's flesh, it was Peter's sinfulness that was driving him in to worry about himself more than he was worried about his Savior. So Jesus says, let's do this again. And he goes off in verse 42, he says again, for the second time he went away and he prayed. My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. This time Jesus goes to pray and he submits to his calling. He looked for that way out. He asked God to give him, to give him an escape. And when it was clear that that wasn't there, Jesus comes back and he says, if this is the only way to do it, if this is the only way to fulfill the plan that we have, if this is the only way to save our people, then I'm going to go through with it. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to keep pushing forward. And then he comes back to his disciples after a time of prayer. And again, they're sleeping. And I love the way that verse 43 words this, because it's such a passing thing. But it says, again, he came and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. Oh, their eyes were heavy. Here you have Jesus out praying with the weight of the world on his shoulders. Jesus is bearing the weight of salvation, knowing everything is coming down to him, being faithful and enduring a penalty and a punishment that he didn't deserve, but that we rightfully earn. And he comes back and he finds them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. And he goes again and prays and he doesn't even wake him up this time. He just lets them sleep. And he goes and prays again, and then he comes back, and this is what he said. I just imagine that he kicked them. Verse 45, he came to his disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. The hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise and let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. Comes back to his sleeping, lazy disciples and again, hopefully, kicks them all and says, Get up, it's time to go. You missed it. You had your chance to be faithful. You had your chance to stand with me. And now that time is gone because my betrayer is ready. It's time for me to go. It's time for me to take these steps to do what I'm called to do. And after this story takes place, the events that follow are ones that if you've been in church at any point in time, you're probably familiar with. But Jesus comes back and he does. He faces his betrayer. And Judas, another one of his disciples, another one of these men that he's poured into, that he's loved, that he's cared for, that he's shared the secrets of salvation with, and that he's eaten with, 
looks him in the face and kisses him on the cheek, and he's arrested. But as he's being arrested, Peter all of a sudden perks up. All of a sudden, his eyes aren't quite so heavy, I guess because he got a really good nap in. And so now he's alert, and he feels a little froggy. And so Peter jumps up, and he strikes one of the guards with a sword and cuts off his ear. And I'm sure he was expecting Jesus to be really thankful for that because he's fighting to protect him. And then Jesus rebukes Peter and basically says, what are you doing? This isn't what this is about. I don't need you to fight for me. I don't need you to step in and do this. This is what has to happen. And if you would have been paying attention, if you would have been listening, if you hadn't have been sleeping through all of this, then maybe you would know that faithfulness right now doesn't look like grabbing a sword and fighting, but faithfulness looks like stepping back and allowing me to do what I'm called to do. So now Peter's alert, but he's wrong. And as Jesus is arrested, he goes and he stands in front of high priests and he stands in front of governors and kings and he endures all sorts of false accusations. He endures all sorts of mockery and all sorts of trials. He endures people punching him and spitting on him and mocking him and running his name through the ground. And as he's doing that, as all of this has taken place, we get a window into what's happening with Peter. Because all the disciples run away and somebody recognizes Peter a few times. And every time they say, wait a minute, weren't you one of those people that was with Jesus? And Peter says, I don't know what you're talking about. And it happens again and Peter says, no, I don't know Jesus. Quit asking me about Jesus. And then somebody asks again and finally Peter just cusses him out and lashes out and says, I don't know this guy. Leave me alone. And then it settles in. That exactly what Jesus said would happen would happen. That Peter's faithlessness didn't end in the Garden of Gethsemane, but it kept going even while Jesus was standing tall in the midst of false accusations. And then Jesus goes to the cross and he dies in a brutal, horrific, humiliating way. Jesus finishes his task and lives out his faithfulness. And as Jesus dies on the cross, Peter runs away and hides, completing the fullness of his unfaithfulness. But then three days later, something happens. The thing that we celebrate every Sunday is every Sunday is a little Easter Sunday all through the year because we remember that on that third day that Christ was raised from the dead. And in the story about Jesus' resurrection, we see Peter running again. But this time Peter isn't running away, but Peter is running as fast as he can toward the tomb because these women had come to him and said, Jesus isn't there anymore. He's raised from the dead and we've seen him, that everything he said really was true. And so Peter runs as fast as he can to the tomb to find that it's exactly as they said it was. And then something changes in Peter's life. Because as we see through the rest of the Gospels, and then especially in the book of Acts, Peter, who was unfaithful, who couldn't even stay awake for an hour with Jesus, is now standing in front of thousands of people in Jerusalem, declaring the good news of Christ for the first time, officially, after the resurrection of Jesus, proclaiming what it means to be a follower of Christ, and seeing thousands of people come to faith in Jesus because of the sermon that he preached. We see Peter thrown in jail. We see Peter run out of town. And ultimately, we see Peter die. And tradition tells us that Peter was crucified as well. The same horrific, miserable, awful death. Peter endured that same death 
because something had changed in him after the resurrection. The power of the gospel had taken someone who was faithless and weak and made him the standard of faithfulness. And so when we look at this story from beginning to end, what is it that we learn about faithfulness? First and foremost is that faithfulness is learned by watching Jesus. Faithfulness is learned by watching Jesus. Again, Epiphany is the season where we remember Jesus making manifest the glory of God. That Jesus puts God on display in a way that we can see and in a way that we can know it. As I've quoted before, N.T. Wright says that the life of Christ is showing us what it looks like when God is king on earth. When God is active and moving on earth and we see that in the life of Jesus. And so we're called to learn from that example. If we call ourselves Christians, that term is basically little Christ or followers of Christ, that we want to do the best we can to look like Jesus and to use one of our church words, to be Christ-like. And so to be Christ-like, we have to look to Jesus, we have to learn from Jesus, and we have to see the faithfulness of Jesus. And for the fruit of the Spirit of faithfulness to be displayed in our life, it's not enough to be faithful like we think faithfulness is, but we have to be faithful as Jesus is faithful. And the only way to do that is to know how Jesus was faithful. And so that means we have to spend time in Scripture. That means we have to pour ourselves into the Gospels. And if you've been in church for a long time, this story might be one of those that just seems old. You might have heard it a lot of times about Peter denying Jesus and Jesus praying in the garden and all the trials. There's children's storybooks about it and you hear it Easter after Easter after Easter and it's one of the big things we talk about because it's why we're here. And so that story can start to sound a little stale but that truth never grows old and the life of Christ is never without benefit for us to study and to know because he puts on display not only the glory of God but he shows us that who we're called to be and who we can be because of the power of the resurrection. And so we have to learn that faithfulness by watching Jesus. But even in seeing the life of Christ, we can also see that bailing out is easier than staying true. That fading away is easier than faithfulness. Because even for Jesus, there was an easier way out. And at one point in time in his life, he wanted to take it. He asked God to let him off the hook. He asked God to let him go to find some other way, to find some easier way. And I am the master of the easy way. I like to take the easy way out. I far prefer it to the hard way in most things. But faithfulness is oftentimes very hard. And if faithfulness is hard, that usually means that unfaithfulness is easy. And so bailing out and running away is always going to be an easier option than staying true and staying faithful. If it was a temptation for Jesus, then it's certainly going to be a temptation for us. We also see that being faithful can be painful. Faithfulness sounds like a virtue, and it is a virtue. Faithfulness sounds like a positive characteristic, and it is a positive characteristic. And so often in our lives, we think that if we do the right thing, if we live the right way, then everything's going to be nice and easy. But the reality is, more often than not, being faithful is going to cause you, at minimum, some sort of inconvenience. At worst, it could cause you some sort of physical, emotional, or spiritual pain. Because if Christ wasn't exempt from that, then neither are we. 
And so sometimes doing the right thing, sometimes being faithful to God, sometimes being faithful to the people in our lives is going to cost more than being unfaithful would, but we don't have the option to run away because Christ was faithful for us. And so we have to go in knowing full well that sometimes being faithful might be painful. And then it's not going to be easy. And then sometimes even when we go to God in prayer, it's going to have us to the point of being sorrowful, even to the point of death. Because if we're faithful like Jesus, we're going to be faithful like Jesus. But then we also see here that Jesus is faithful when we're not. To word it like we see in Scripture, that even when we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot act against himself. And so there are going to be plenty of times when we are far more Peter in Gethsemane than we are Peter in Jerusalem. When things are going to get hard and we're going to get tired and our eyes are going to get heavy and it's easier just to fall out and not do what we're supposed to do. And so we'll take the easy road because, again, we still have that fight going on inside of us between the flesh and the spirit. And sometimes we let that flesh win. And sometimes we're not faithful, and sometimes we're not loyal, and sometimes we don't do what we're called to do, and yet still in those moments, he does. And so there's joy even in our weakness. There's joy even in our shortcomings because we know that Christ will always be faithful, and we see that put on display in this story as Jesus marched towards Golgotha, painfully, agonizingly taking every single step, but he never wavered and he never fell away. And that's the kind of faithfulness that we can trust in our God. That's how Paul was able to say that I feel confident that he who began the good work in you will complete it on the day of Christ Jesus. Paul could say that because God has always been faithful and then God was faithful in a way that we could see and touch and know in Jesus. And so Paul says, because I know that Jesus went to the cross, I know that Jesus will complete that good work in your life. But then if we look to Peter in the story, we can see a couple things too. First, if we aren't faithful in the little things, we won't know how to be faithful in the big things. If we aren't faithful in the little things, then we won't know how to be faithful in the big things. Think about what happened with Peter. God gave, or Jesus gave him a, a very simple task. I need you to sit here with me and be my friend. I need you to sit here with me and be my brother. I need you to sit here with me and just pray for me, and that's all. And Peter couldn't do it. Peter couldn't be faithful in something that cost him absolutely nothing but maybe an hour of sleep. And so it seems really expected that when it came time for Peter to do something big, that he did it the wrong way. Because when the guards came for Jesus, faithfulness for Peter was supposed to look like stepping back and trusting in God and saying, if this is what's got to happen, this is what's got to happen. And I'm going to stand here and I'm going to pray and I'm going to be who I'm supposed to be, but I'm going to let this take place because this is what Jesus has been telling me is going to happen for so long now. But instead, Peter grabs his sword and he tries to fight. Because when it came down to being faithful in a big situation, he didn't know how. Because he hadn't been faithful in the little moments. And so every day, God gives us so many little moments to be faithful. Those times when we have to rely on integrity and on the character that God has placed inside of us and to to make the right decisions when it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. To be faithful to God in the times when it doesn't seem like it really matters. 
But in truth, it really does. Because it's learning how to be faithful. Because again, that's not always a natural thing for us. Learning how to be faithful in those little moments teaches us how to be faithful when the big things come. Because when those hard times come, when it gets painful, when it gets big, when it gets overwhelming, we're always going to default back to what we know the best. And if what we know the best is running and hiding and being faithless, then that's where we're going to go. But if what we know the best is to be faithful and to endure and to be steadfast as God is steadfast, then even in those hard times, even though it might not be easy, that's where we're going to default to because that's what we've put into practice. We also see with Peter that if we aren't faithful in private, we can't be in public. Peter, in these quiet moments with Jesus, when nobody else was around, couldn't remain faithful. And so why would he have ever thought, I guess maybe out of pride, we probably would have all felt the same way. But why would he have ever thought when Jesus says, you're going to deny me, why wouldn't he have known in the garden? If I can't stay awake now, there's no way that I'm going to be able to be faithful to Jesus when it matters But he didn't put those things together because in the same way he hadn't put it into practice. And so if we can't be faithful in the quiet moments when nobody else is around, then just because more eyes are on us doesn't mean that all of a sudden we're going to be good at it. And we see Peter crash and burn in the face of a lot of strangers as he denies Christ. This lack of faithfulness leads us to a lack of judgment because we have no foundation to stand on. But then finally, we see a couple things that are really good news. For starters, Jesus is faithful to the end. Not only is Jesus faithful when we aren't faithful, but Jesus is faithful all the way to the end, to the point where he said, it is finished. And we have this hope in the faithfulness of Christ that he never leaves anything undone, that he never leaves anything unfinished, that he always does what he says he will do. And we see that happen in the life of Peter. That Jesus finished what he started in the life of Peter because we see in Peter's life that the Spirit can make even the most tragic failures become the standard of faithfulness. Even someone who seems to be, at most times in his life, and most times in his walk with Jesus, the most faithless of all of them, who would take these big steps of faith and then just crash and burn tragically. We see all the way from Acts to the end of his life, Peter now is a completely different man who feared nothing, who was faithful to the end, who was willing to even face death and even a humiliating and horrifying death for the cause of Christ because the power of the resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit had made him new. And so Peter's life gives us hope. Because we have been weak, and there's a good chance that we'll be weak again. We saw that as we were talking early on in Galatians, that there was a moment where Peter slipped up again. When Peter started eating only with the Jewish believers and following all their laws and ignoring the the Gentile Christians and making them feel less than, and it took Paul getting in his face and calling him out. And so there will still be times, even after we come to faith in Christ, that we won't live up to who we're supposed to be and that we'll make mistakes and that we'll fall short and that we won't be faithful. But we have to remember that even in those moments of weakness, there is nothing that can overtake the power of new life that Christ has given us and that he has not only made us good as we talked about last week but he has made us 
faithful, that he has set us free to not have to fear and to not have to give in to the weakness of our flesh, but to pursue him with all things and to be faithful to him in all things. If we call ourselves Christians, and if you're here and you've put your faith in Christ before, that means that we have to reflect Christ. And Christ is faithful. We've been called to be people who love. We've been called to have joy. We've been called to have peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. And we need to feel a sense of loyalty to that. We need to understand that we're called to be faithful to that calling as well as in our walk with Christ to do the little things day after day, to be faithful to the calling that he's given us and to grow in our walk with him daily and also be faithful to do the work that we're called to do in the world. We also need to be faithful with one another. Jesus' cry for help in the disciples' response was something that was heartbreaking something that was infuriating, something that just seems so unbelievable that they could look at this man who loves them, who's cared for them, and who they love, that they not only consider a teacher, but they consider a friend and someone that they live with and somebody that they travel with. And he says, I'm broken and I'm sorrowful and I'm weak. Just stay up and watch with me. And they fall asleep and we think, how disgusting can you be? But then I have to wonder, how often do I do that to the people around me? How often do we do that to the people in our lives who look at us, whether verbally or not, and say, I am sorrowful, I'm broken, I'm in need, I need someone to be here for me, I need someone to be faithful for me, and we look at them and we say, okay, cool, I'll pray for you, and then we fall asleep. We have to be faithful with one another. We have to be willing to be vulnerable with one another and trust that people are going to be faithful with us. But we also have to be willing to hear people's vulnerabilities, to hear what people need, and to be there for people. It's a lot more than just kindness. That's why all of these fruit of the Spirit go together. It's not about just being nice to people or even just being kind to people, but it's about being faithful in the way that we do that. It's not just about being patient with people, but it's about being faithful in the way that we do that. That we're not just patient once, that we're not just kind once, that we're not just loving once, but that we faithfully put these things to practice in our relationships with one another. New Testament describes Christianity as a marriage. And marriages require faithfulness. That begins with our faithfulness to God. The most important faithfulness that any of us have is our faithfulness in our walk with Christ because he was faithful to save us by his grace and by his mercy and he is faithful to continue doing that good work in us and he will be faithful to complete it one day when he makes everything right and everything new. And so we owe him our faithfulness, not out of obligation, but it should be out of love because we know that as we're faithful to Christ, he's faithful to us and we'll grow in that faithfulness. And then that faithfulness will pour out into our relationships with others. Our faithfulness will pour out into our service in the church, not just coming on Sunday mornings, but being involved and invested, not just in the work of the church, but in the life of the church. And then that will overflow into our gospel work. 
of being faithful to go out and to do what Christ has called us to do after his resurrection, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching to obey all the things that he commands, to go out and to be witnesses to the gospel, but also to go into the dark and the broken places, to find the people in our community and our world who are hurting and broken and in need, and take the light of the gospel to them and the love of Christ, and then be faithful to continually do that over and over again. And it will absolutely be hard. But the good news is that in Christ you can do it. And I can do it. Because of Christ's faithfulness, he has set us free to be faithful. And so we should answer that call by being men and women who love Christ and who are faithful to do what he's called us to do and be who he's called us to be.